Welcome to the Med Street Journal. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Med Street Journal podcast sponsored by Open Loop, a trusted partner for telehealth companies across the U.S. looking to launch and scale their virtual care services. Check them out at openloophealth.com. Today, I'm joined by another awesome guest, Mr. Spencer Hutchins. He's the co-founder and CEO of Concert Health, and they're working in the behavioral health and uh, mental health space. So I'm excited to have him on and learn a little bit more about his background and the impact that he's trying to make in the healthcare space. So that being said, Spencer, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much. Appreciate you having me. No problem. So why don't we just jump into it? Why don't you give people a brief background of who you are, how you got into healthcare, and what you're doing over at Concert Health? Sure. So my own background has been a healthcare and technology junkie. I think I've been in the space since before they came up with that name, digital health. Trained in business school, uh, spent the time in management consulting early in my career, took some breaks to do public sector work. I was in the first term of the Obama administration, helping start a healthcare team at the Federal Communications Commission. And Concert Health is then the second company I've started and, and helped run. What we're doing at Concert, and we've been at it for about four and a half years, we're trying to build America's best and eventually largest behavioral health medical group. So I'm incredibly fortunate to have close to 200 colleagues, which are um, mostly amazing behavioral health clinicians, uh, psychiatrists, and psychiatric nurse practitioners. And we work with dozens of medical groups and health systems to help them integrate behavioral health services into the primary care setting. Most of our focus is on a model called collaborative care, which is a evidence-based way to integrate behavioral health care right into the primary care setting. So you have a shared care plan or tracking outcomes and make sure you're being supported. And we get rid of these artificial distinctions between medical and behavioral and recognize that we're all one person. And so often those things commingle and, and really need to be treated together in order to get us healthy. Nice. And so throughout this whole past year or two years now, how has this pandemic and like the COVID and everything affected what you guys are doing at Concert Health? Yeah, it's been a wild ride like for everybody. Obviously, the first thing it did was create more need. I think there's some great things from a society standpoint. There's more and more awareness of behavioral health conditions and their importance. That was happening before COVID, but maybe more awareness. Also, obviously in medicine, this idea that you could do more remotely, that you can do phone and video visits with patients. Really what we found is before COVID, the patients understood that and they said, yeah, this fits into my life better. I love to do care remotely, it fits into my day. You saw a little more resistance on the behalf of the primary care physicians. And because of them having to do more of it, they found, you know, my patients actually like this. This is convenient, it can be effective for them and me. And so those pieces certainly helped. Although we're closely working with lots of medical groups around the country. New York was one of our original and largest markets. And we had many of our partners that got COVID, small practices in Brooklyn. Patients showed up sick two springs ago before anybody knew and before they had masks and PPE. And so really feeling like our team and, and our partners were on the front line. Certainly a lot of disruptions that came to primary care offices, visits going down, them figuring out how to move to telemedicine. So hopefully we spent some time really being a good partner to them, helping them navigate those transitions and making sure that we were able to deliver really exceptional care to their patients uh, right alongside them at a time when they felt like the need was even greater. Nice. So your guys' focus is on partnering with the healthcare providers rather than directly seeing patients? Yeah, that's right. Love all the organizations that are scaling and the employers becoming a benefit or those folks that are just doing direct in-network behavioral health care. But we're taking a little different approach. We think that we shouldn't be building a better silo, but we should really be integrating deeply with your medical care. 
So what we do is we partner with primary care teams, OBGYN groups, pediatricians to really embed our services directly into their care models. While we do most of the care remotely, sometimes we actually co-locate into their offices and at all the times we're documenting together, sharing a care plan, sharing outcomes so that we're really supporting that whole patient across their depression, their anxiety, their substance use, but also helping understand what their PCP might be doing with their diabetes care or their COPD or what might be happening in their pregnancy or their gynecology in an OB context. And then really putting a plan together that helps support the whole person. Nice. So you guys are like providing the infrastructure to allow them to scale, whereas like they may not have all the necessary resources to see patients outside of their usual radius and you guys provide that to them. Yeah, certainly. As a big part, I think a lot of physicians love the idea of this. I love a team-based model. I want to be together. One problem you have with, is in behavioral health, if you can't even get a patient to see a, a specialist. So one is they don't want to see a therapist or a psychiatrist because they think depression happens to other people. But by embedding it into the primary care setting, they trust that care provider and sometimes they're more willing to accept that kind of care. Even if patients want to see those people, they can't get anyone that takes their insurance or there's long waits. Even if they get to see them eventually, they struggle through that or figure it out. The primary care physician has no idea what's happening. There's no visibility into those. And so we provide a pretty different model for the patient and the primary care team, which is it's really a combined effort. Everybody's sharing that information, putting something together that supports the patient across those. And, and that's really, most importantly, it works for patients because we don't want to have a therapist telling us one thing, a psychiatrist telling us their medication and the PCP treating for other things. We want the team together. We want them to know each other and we want them to really be supporting us to get us healthy across that whole set of things that are, might be going wrong with anybody at any given time. And so that's what we try to deliver for the patient. And almost as importantly as the patient is that's the kind of experience a primary care doctor wants too, is they want to know what's happening. They want to be the quarterback and they want to help understand you know, how to support stuff across all those conditions. Nice. And so the comment before COVID and this pandemic hit is how slow the healthcare industry was to adopt new technologies and yep. the constant regulations and hoops you got to jump through just to get something going. From your perspective as a CEO, what sort of roadblocks or obstacles really stuck out to you when trying to integrate your services into people's existing yeah. models of company? One thing I think is really important for any entrepreneur out there or somebody thinking about it is deciding the type of organization you want to build. When we identified this problem, I met my co-founder, Verna Little, who's a psychologist and social worker and one of the pioneers of this model collaborative care. I think we really both resonated quickly with there's a lot of technology that needs to be built here. But it's not software. That's not the only problem. It's a great clinical uh, team with a good process and workflow empowered by the right technology. And that's certainly what we're trying to do here. And so one an important decision we made was this isn't just a tech company. It's, a, I guess, the jargon now would be a technology-enabled service, right, is what investors are calling it. But what it really means is just we're solving the whole problem for patients in primary care. And in our case, that included hiring, employing, creating great professional opportunities for the best behavioral health clinicians in the country. And so that's been a real focus of ours. I'd say the other thing, yeah, there is bureaucracy, there's slowness, but some of it is silly. Some of it's appropriate. People's lives are important. And the medicine is complicated. The human body is complicated. The system is one thing I think it's easy for, for young organizations or startups to make fun of the system. And sometimes I think it's also important to have a little empathy of recognizing, hey, why it's hard. And we spent a lot of time 
helping to do not just great clinical care, but really support the revenue cycles and billing automation, really helping primary care teams figure out how to build and deploy these collaborative care programs, which are now reimbursed by almost every health plan in the country. Sometimes it's really understanding why things are slow, and maybe that's an answer that you're not solving all the problems that needs to get solved. Okay. I have a side question. I don't know if it's an elementary question or not, but what do you mean by collaborative care model? Yeah, great question. It's a specific uh, model that's been studied for 20 years or so. It's about integrating or adding two team members to the primary care team, a behavioral care manager and a psychiatric consultant. So the behavioral care manager is a uh, licensed mental health professional. Most of our team are uh, licensed social workers or marriage and family therapists, professional clinical counselors, and the site consultant is a physician or advanced practice nurse practitioner. And then really putting a system in place to help that primary care provider both identify and treat a wide swath of behavioral health conditions like depression, anxiety, substance abuse. So what it's really about is getting that three-person team, primary care, behavioral care manager, and psychiatric consultant, helping to screen patients using tools, because we know probably about half the people with depression and anxiety don't bring it up to their doctor, and then being able to provide warm handoffs to that care team. So if you're working with concert or someone else in collaborative care, if I'm the patient, instead of saying, hey, Spencer, you have depression, you should find a therapist, they can provide a warm handoff, which is something like, hey, Spencer, looks like you're struggling with sleep. I'd really love to introduce you to a colleague of mine named Danny. She helps me help patients that are that are going through that. And I'd love for Danny to give you a call today or tomorrow. It's a lot less scary, a lot more welcoming. And then Danny, though, would be our behavioral care manager. Reach out to me, phone or video visits, or sometimes in-person care. Always tracking outcomes, always reassessing how, what your depression symptoms are, what your anxiety symptoms are, trying to measure them with these tools that really give us a quantitative footing of where your symptoms are. And then doing a mix of psychotherapy interventions of whatever the patient wants and needs, but always having a focus on, I'm going to change things until I get you better, until we really see your symptoms improving. They're managing through a registry, which is just a fancy name for a database that tracks whether or not my depression is getting better and what modality of therapy they're using and what, if any, medications my primary care team has already prescribed me. And that helps to structure Danny's work. So she focuses on those patients that aren't getting better. What can I change? How do I go over that with my supervisor? Also structures an hour-long consultation she has with a psychiatric provider. The psychiatrist isn't there to take over care and they don't normally see the patient directly. What they're doing is coaching the care manager and writing recommendations into the primary care physician's chart about maybe a different dose, a different medication, a different diagnosis. And so in that hour or two a week, that psychiatrists can help oversee the care of 50, 70, 80 patients, as opposed to just being able to see a couple in practice and kind of coach up that team to manage patients and symptoms a lot more effectively at scale. Nice. So instead of just one person doing like a one-to-one approach, you have That's right. this sort of model that allows you to create a one-to-many opportunity for these organizations. And you're doing it by leveraging different technologies, multiple team members, to really amplify the value that you can give to one specific patient because you have all these hands helping interpret that data and information. Yeah, that's a great way of putting it. I think that's exactly right. And the reality of behavioral health conditions like depression, we have lots of evidence-based treatments. There's lots of forms of psychotherapy that have been shown to be effective. There's many medications, but they're all imperfect. You can't ever say, oh, this med will make you feel better, or this form of therapy will make you feel better. You have to mix and match, right? And so what this is about is assembling the right team and the right systems to say, listen, 
What we're focused on is getting you better. And really it's, what does a patient want? Some will say, I love therapy. Great, we'll do a more traditional experience. Some will say, I don't wanna do that, I'll take a pill. Others are the exact opposite, right? In which they'll say, hey, I don't believe in medication, but I am happy to talk to someone and get some counseling. You know, we start where the patient wants, but then say, hey, listen, what we're gonna do together alongside of your primary care physician is measure those symptoms and see, are you sleeping better? Do you have more energy? Are you feeling less isolated, right? Are you getting less nervous? And using that to judge is the work that we're doing together working or do we need to change something and really having that accountability? And then you're right, there's not nearly enough psychiatrists to manage everybody with depression and anxiety. If medicine is gonna help and if healthcare system is gonna help, it's about primary care physicians doing a lot of that, particularly for the more mild or moderate issues. And this is about giving them the team that helps leverage that expertise. And so that those psychiatrists can use their expertise to coach up that primary care team and do better and better care for a broader swath of patients. Nice, awesome. And you mentioned being able to measure behavioral health metrics. And for me, when I think of measuring metrics and KPIs, think of like numbers, like specific numbers and stuff. So like, how do you go about measuring someone's behavioral Absolutely. health? Most uh, famously, there's a test called the Personal Health Questionnaire 9. That's often referred to as the PHQ-9. Um, Probably many of your listeners have been, as received this at one point, a lot of times we do it now in the check-in for our annual wellness exam or after a hospitalization. And it essentially asks, hey, in the last two weeks, how often had you had various symptoms, been low energy, eating too much or too little, isolated yourself or felt lonely, not had pleasure doing things. One of them is either that you've thought that you might be better off not being alive. And you can answer that sort of, I've never thought that in the last two weeks, sometimes, most days, or almost every day. And that essentially spits out a, a score, which was uh, zero would be no symptoms, 27 would be the most extreme symptoms and along that continuum. And that's an example that's a common one used for depression. So if you get that, if you're above a certain uh, level on that, normally above a nine, or if you have any positivity to that question about self-harm, that would be an appropriate referral into a program like collaborative care. And then we don't only use it to screen, but use that to track symptoms longitudinally. So someone getting better and it creates that kind of quantitative framework. You still need to use your clinical judgment, but it helps get that quantitative framework of, hey, Spencer started at an 18 and he's down to a 12, but now he's stuck at a 12. So that would be a sign. Hey, it's good news. He's better. He's moved down six points. That's an improvement to sleeping better. He's more energetic, but 12 is still pretty high. And that still means that I'm I'm impacted in my life. And that's a classic case in which uh, I might not realize that. I might say, listen, I don't feel the worst that I've ever felt. I'm going to declare success. But by tracking that PHQ-9 on a longitudinal basis, they say, hey, I think we can do better than this, Spencer. You, know, you can continue to work more. If it's exercise more, uh, take the right medications, connect with your parents or your kids in a different way, whatever that intervention is to continue to improve. And we try to replicate that whenever possible. There's a similar tool used for generalized anxiety disorder called the GAD-7. There's a tool called the Vanderbilt you can use for attention deficit disorder. Uh, there's other scales that you use for particularly high acuity suicide risk, other things. So we're always really trying to bring that an evidence-based or an evidence-informed tool and empower the patient with it. Say, hey, this is how we're going to track this. It can be a really powerful tool for physicians too, because a lot of them have a pretty limited training in behavioral health. Maybe they did one rotation back in med school, but they're really the front lines. This kind of creates an outcome framework that feels more comfortable for them and a little more quantitative in a way that a lot of primary care physicians say, hey, this is how I want to manage my population and make sure that I don't have people slipping through the cracks. That's interesting. That's a good way to kind of monitor someone's progress. And it's like, yeah, you know, so saying like what gets measured gets improved. And that can right. apply to everything. So hearing kind of how your guys' process or kind of what resources are out there to be able to do that 
It's awesome. The, the jargon that gets used inside the research community for it is treat. And so exactly that. It's if you're not measuring something, if you don't have a goal, how are you going to get there? And so a big part of collaborative care and the work that we do at Concert Health is our goal is not to keep someone in the therapy as long as possible. It's the opposite. It's how quickly can we get you? And so it's defining success with the patient. Okay, what do we want life to look like? How could life be better? How could we do that? And maybe how could we measure it? Use one of these tools to measure what that goal would be. And then how do we track towards that progress? And, and really our goal is to reduce people's symptoms, feel like they have their own coping skills so they can do this on their own, and then doing a graduation planning with them, which is, hey, what do you watch out for? What are the stresses in your life that make you feel worse or do that? And, and what are the skills that you've built together? Is it running more? Is it engaging with your family? Is it remember to take a daily medication? It can be a whole swath of them, but building those tools and say, listen, you can do these on your own. You don't need me all the time in your ear. And, and it's working back. Some people get there in 60, 70 days. Some people it takes five or six months. Some people take a year, but in any case, it's about building that resilience, building those skills themselves, and then letting them get on with their life. One thing that I noticed when I was doing some research, going down that Google rabbit hole on concert health is how you guys have a focus on providing resources to the demographics that have limited or no access to care. And yep. I feel like that's a big problem and it's brought to light, I think, with this whole pandemic and kind of that transition into more virtual care services. But I would love to get your opinion on what and why this is such a problem How you, and how you guys are actually tackling that. Yeah, I uh, appreciate that. This really starts with Verna and I think our values and focus is saying, listen, we want to help everybody and we don't want a solution that only works for folks with the exact right type of insurance or can afford to pay. And that's been a, a priority of ours from the beginning. A great thing is that collaborative care is a covered benefit now for Medicare nationally, Medicaid in now 20 states with Texas and Hawaii being the 19th and 20th state to come on board, as well as most commercial health plans, Aetna, United, Anthem, TRICARE, lots of others. And so really work, most primary care physicians see a smattering, lots of different people, you know, with lots of different types of insurance. And, and we've really tried whenever possible to support them across that continuum. Something like 35% of the 20,000 patients we've cared for at Concert Health have had, and another chunk of them have been uninsured. And so it's really a value, it's a priority of ours. And it's really what works for our primary care partners, because they don't want to have to remember which insurance do you have. They just want to this is how I'm going to start practicing primary care and I want to do it with concert. So that's been a priority of ours. So explain who you guys help and the problem that you guys identified within the market and the people that you need to partner with in order to be able to create that impact and put that value out into the market. But obviously there's going to be resistance. And so how do you educate the people the companies that aren't necessarily bought into what you guys are doing and how do you educate you know, them? The great thing about behavioral healthcare right now is that there's a society-wide awakening to the fact that we've been under-investing, we haven't been talking about it, we've been embarrassed about it, we've slotted it off as if it's a different part of our health and ignoring it, proverbially rubbing dirt in it. And I think there's been an awareness from all of us, both as a society and in the healthcare system that we need to do better and we need to do more. And we've really been able to ride that uh, momentum in which I think there has been less resistance than there used to be. And in particular, a growing awareness that we need to stop managing care in silos and start managing it as an integrated approach. And so we've been fortunate around that. Our biggest problem has been awareness, right? People don't realize what collaborative care is, that it's a specific model, and that it's now a covered benefit by most insurers. So if you ask the average primary care physician and you said, hey, do you see a lot of depression, anxiety in your practice? 
100 out of 100 say, I see a ton, right? Say, hey, do you find that it's easy to treat that on your own or no, it's hard, right? Oh, can patients get in to see therapists or psychiatrists? Can you refer to the right specialist? 99 out of 100 will say, no, that's hard. I'm on my own and patients don't want or can't find someone that'll take them or lists are long. And then if you say, well, did you know that actually there's an, uh, there's now insurance companies will pay you, right? To do this model, integrate it in your practice. Very few know about collaborative care. And so one thing we're trying to do is just increase awareness. And then the second question is great. If you are aware, but do you want to figure it all out yourself? Or do you want to, you want to work with someone that does nothing but this? And that's what we really built Concert Health for is those teams, those primary care doctors that said, I love the idea of same day, next day access to behavioral health clinicians. I want them documenting in a shared care plan with me. I want to have a, a shared set of goals. I want to understand those progresses. And I want the help of a psychiatric consultant to review, help me understand what, how I should be prescribing and diagnosing. I want that kind of team-based care. Some of them are then going to say, I'm going to do this all myself. And we wish them the best of luck. We give them tools to say, good luck. But for others, we'll say, I want that, but I don't have the time or the capacity. I don't know how it's staffed. That's one of uh, 50 of my priorities. And for, for those folks, Concert Health can be a great partner to say, great, it's our only priority. So let's build a great service line together. Let's do clinical care together. Let's make it sustainable for both organizations and a really valuable service we're going to be providing their patients. It's, it's driving awareness. And then it's really helping understanding all those little details. Everything in healthcare, our darn system is so complicated. It's really in the weeds of, okay, how do you build this plan? And what's the patient's copay for that thing? How will you access your medical records? And how will we do integration of our EHRs? How will we get the claims out? How, you know, and that's what we spent four years and uh, our first 20,000 patients, you know, figuring out better and better. And we've still got a ton to learn. We think we've learned a lot over that time and we can be a really valuable partner for those groups. Nice. Just having... All of that data, pretty much all that information, just continue yep. to optimize your processes and workflows over these past couple of years, like you've mentioned. I yep. like how you talked about like just being getting awareness around this problem. But then once you get awareness, it's like, all right, do you want to do it yourself or do you want someone to do it with you? Yeah. <laughs> most people don't want to just do it by themselves. So I see um, the value in that. But we're coming towards like the end of the main meat segment of the interview. But I have one more question. And it's what sort of advice would you have for healthcare providers who are looking to explore the collaborative care model and how do they even get started with that? Yeah, there's some great public resources that I'd point them towards. The AIMS Center, A-I-M-S, uh, at the University of Washington has a great website. They've been really the intellectual epicenter of the model. They do a great job describing the research base and the opportunities to deploy collaborative care. Also, the American Psychiatry Association. It's a great tool for psychiatrists that want to learn more, but also other clinicians. They got some great videos. They have also done some really great curation to show which health plans pay for this and which states and markets and stuff. And so if they search for that, the, the APA and collaborative care, that'll come up and be really a great tool. Medicare itself has some nice uh, fact sheets as well. They lump this under a set of codes they call behavioral health integration. And because it's healthcare, we need acronyms for everything. So BHI, that they'll, they'll call it. And those are probably the three places I'd start to learn about collaborative care specifically. If there was a medical group out there or health system that thought not only this is a good idea, but working with Concert would be great, they can go to our website, which is just concerthealth.io. We've got links to a lot of those websites on there, some of our experience and ways to get in touch with us if folks are interested in learning more. Awesome. Yeah, so that kind of ends the main segment. That was interesting piece of information right there but we're talking a lot about healthcare space the behavioral health 
but I like to end each episode on a little lighter exercise with something I call the rapid fire round. So sounds good. I'm just going to ask you a short list of questions and you give me whatever answer you come up with. All right. I'm on the hot seat. So question number one, what is your favorite book of all time? Oh, that's tough. There's a lot. <laughs> I wish I could read more right now. I'm doing a little too much building the business and not reading. In addition to healthcare, another thing that I just love is the built environment architecture, the built space. This book that I've read a couple of times in love is The Death and Life of Great American Cities by Jane Jacobs. Just a great thing about the power of urban America and how to pull people together and get the car out of the way. So I, I love that book and, and love her approach. She wrote it a long time ago, but she was right about a lot of things, even though the, she wrote the book, I think, before I was born. Okay. Number two, who is the most influential person in your life or career? Probably my mom and my uh, middle school teacher, Ellen Corrin. The two of them helped recognize that I had dyslexia and got me a lot of help for it. Made me realize that I could be smarter than I thought. And that, that really changed my life forever. Yeah, shout out to them. Number three. What is one goal you want to accomplish within this next year? Oh man, lots of things. And most importantly, we're probably got to hire a few hundred behavioral health clinicians to keep up with the need we're seeing in the marketplace at Concert Health. So I hope we do that. And I hope we find a group that works with us and works with me to help make it the best job in behavioral health. And so that's my best, that's my highest priority. Awesome. I like it. And then last but not least, what is one piece of advice you would give to your 20 year old self? I met my wife, not too old, much older than 20. And so we've been together now 20 years plus. I would tell, I'd probably tell myself that make sure to find the little moments along the way to live and love life and, and not just wait for the big vacations or big trips or big things. It's sort of, life happens in those moments along the way. And I'm still learning that, but I could have learned it a lot quicker. So I'd go back and tell myself that. Excellent piece of advice. I think that's a perfect way to wrap up today's episode. Spencer, I just want to thank you again for taking some time out of your day to jump on and share the impact and the value that you're trying to put out into the healthcare community, more specifically within the behavioral health space. Um, but before you go, where could people connect with you if they wanted to learn more, whether it's about you or Concert Health? Go ahead. Yeah. So the website's a great spot on Concert Health. The URL again is just concerthealth.io or .com. It'll, it'll send you back there. And uh, me, uh, LinkedIn and Twitter are probably my uh, social media spots of choice. You can follow or connect with me on LinkedIn. And uh, my Twitter handle is just SC Hutchins and you can find me there as well. Awesome. And I'll be sure to include all those links in the resources section. But that being said, that wraps up today's episode. Hope you guys found some value in this. Catch you guys on the next one.